Good to see everybody here. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. For those of you viewing online, you're very much a part of what's going on here. We see you and we love you as well. So back in 2006, there was a movie called The Breakup. And in this movie, it followed a couple, Gary and Brooke. And it followed just all the miscues of their relationship. And of course, the, the, the climax of the movie is this breakup scene between Gary and Brooke, which is seemingly over the simple task of doing the dishes. So Gary and Brooke had just finished hosting a dinner party, and Gary wanted to just lounge out on the couch and catch the last quarter of the basketball game that he had missed because of said dinner party. And Brooke was cleaning up the dishes from the table, loading the dishwasher, and she asked, Gary, can you help me do the dishes? He says, you know what, I'd really love to just, let me just catch the last little bit of this basketball game and then I'll come help you out. And Brooke says, well, you know, we haven't seen each other all week. We haven't caught up. We haven't talked. I haven't heard anything from you. Could you come and help me do the dishes? And Gary responds and he says, fine, I'll come and do the dishes. Brooke says, no, 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 no. That's not what I want. So Gary's confused. He says, I thought you wanted me to come help you do the dishes. And Brooke says, Gary, I don't want you to do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes. To which Gary then responds in a little bit of stu stupidity, selfishness, and frustration. He says, why would I want to do the dishes? Right? Maybe we can all relate to that sort of miscue in our relationships. But I bring that up because what that illustrates is, is just that there's there's a deeper sense to relationships. There's a thing under the thing with relationships. There's more than just going through the motions. And in this series that we're in called The Better Half, what we're finding so far is that a lot of that requires surrender, a certain level of unselfishness that, that Gary just didn't possess in that scene, right? In our marriages, in our families, in our friendships, in our church, our church community. There's a certain level of unselfishness that's at the heart of every relationship. Last week, Pastor Josh taught about the tone of relationships, and he called the, the tone of a relationship like the atmosphere around the relationship, and how much our decisions and, quite frankly, our selfishness can affect the tone of our relationships. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at the heart of relationships. So if the tone is kind of that air around relationships, this morning, think of the heart of our relationship as being like the, the pulse of our relationship, what sustains our relationships. So before we, we get into it, here's a, here's a thought worth sitting on for a moment. Think of it in any of the relationships that this series has brought to mind in any relationships where we're pursuing to be the better half, do you go through the motions to maintain your close relationships? Or are you will willing to surrender and sustain them? Do you go through the motions to maintain your close relationships? Or are you willing to surrender and sustain them? See, there's that one repeating theme throughout this series of being the better half that involves surrender some kind of unselfishness. Last week, we saw a whole list 
of selfish things that can affect the tone and heart of our relationships. But selfishness shows itself in many different ways. And it's going to be sort of wrapped up in our main idea for this morning as we pursue the heart of healthy relationships. And it's this, is that reconciliation is at the heart of healthy relationships. Reconciliation is at the heart of healthy relationships. For this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 5, if you want to turn there and follow along. We're going to be in Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26. But just to set the stage of what's going on here, this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And what, what's happened so far is Jesus has begun his ministry. He's called his disciples. He's started performing miracles. A crowd starts to gather around him, not just his disciples, but a crowd gathers around him and starts to follow him. And it's at this time that Jesus goes up a mountainside and his disciples sit around him and he starts teaching them. With, with, all, with the crowd overhearing in the background, Jesus starts teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. Jesus' arrival ushers in the kingdom of God. So Jesus takes this opportunity to teach his disciples what it looks like to be a part of God's kingdom. It looks very different than the kingdoms that they have lived under in the world. The kingdom of God looks almost counter, is counter-cultural to what the, the Jews were experiencing at the time. So Jesus is, is bringing to them these teachings that in a way allows them to put on a new set of glasses and gives them a new lens to see the world around them. And it would be how God wants us to interact with the world around us as kingdom citizens. And ultimately at the root of that is God wants us to experience the joy and the fullness of being in relationship with him. So it starts off in Matthew 5, as we just read, starting in verse 21. Jesus is teaching, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So let's go back. What does this mean where Jesus says, you have heard? Jesus says, you have heard because he's talking about the Old Testament. Jesus is talking about the Old Covenant. Jesus is talking about the old agreement that God had between, the old relationship that God had between himself and his people. When Jesus is saying, you have heard, the people would have been reminded of this covenant where it says, thou shalt not murder. In fact, in Exodus 21.12, it says, whoever strikes a man so that he shall die shall be put to death. So Jesus is bringing to the forefront this, you have heard what's been said about murder. And if you're curious how this would have been heard, you can flip back to Exodus 21 later today and you'll see a whole list of rules, God's law, where it says murder, punishable by death. It says, if you strike your father or mother, death. If you kidnap someone, death. If you curse your father or mother, death. If you take the life of your servant, death. Even if your ox is a little too wild and kills somebody, it's death. 
So as Jesus was teaching, you have heard, the, the listeners would have known this and it would have been brought to mind. This list of examples would have come to mind. But look at where Jesus goes next. He says, you have heard this, but I tell you. Those four words are interesting because throughout the Old Testament, thousands of times, people would have heard from the prophets, thus saith the Lord. But here, Jesus is saying, I tell you. Those four words are actually four words of authority. And what does Jesus say? He says, anger, insults, the posture of our heart, the attitude of our heart towards someone. It's punishable by death. Much like Jesus did throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he's taking what the Jews would have understood as law, and he's getting to the heart issue of it. And we'll see that in next week's sermon as well. Jesus is taking what the Jews would have known as rule and God's law, and he's getting to the heart of it. He's saying, if you insult, if you hold any anger against someone, that's just the same as, as murder. This would be a completely new way of thinking. To be a part of God's kingdom, be a follower of Jesus, would be to put on these glasses and look at the world and our relationships through this lens. But then he reminds us, what are we to do of that? If we're holding on to anger or malice, if we're holding on to those things in our relationships. What are we supposed to do with that? He goes on to say, and he reminds us that reconciliation is at the heart of relationships. Starts in verse 23. He says, so. So, if that's the case. So, if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar First, go and be reconciled with your brother and sister, and then come and offer your gift. There's, there's so much in this verse to unpack. First, what Jesus is saying is that if you're in the middle of doing something, the moment that you remember that a brother or sister has something against you, the moment that you remember that you might have done something or said something, or maybe even, even you may be just harboring these thoughts of anger and insult, the moment you remember that, stop what you're doing. Find that person and seek reconciliation. Seek reconciliation. More than that, if, if that something is worshiping God at the altar, is presenting your gifts to God at the altar, we must, in a sense, keep God waiting while we seek reconciliation. For any of us that are thinking that, that something can wait, God is saying, don't even prioritize worshiping me over reconciliation. Don't even prioritize me over reconciliation. More than that, he's saying that we can't worship without seeking reconciliation first. Until we do that work in our own heart, we can't offer our hearts before God in worship. I love how, how Martin Lloyd-Jones put it. it was a, it's a longer quote, but I shortened it down. If I find that I'm harboring unkind and unworthy thoughts about him or in any way hindering his life, then our Lord tells us 
May I put it thus with reverence. See, even he's wondering if this is right to say. We should, in a sense, even keep God waiting rather than stay. So if we read Jesus' teaching today and then think or ask, how important is this whole reconciliation thing? How important is it for me to go and seek reconciliation if I've done something, if I've said something, if I'm harboring any thoughts against another person? To God, it's more important than our worship. To God, it's necessary for our worship. It's part of tuning our hearts towards God's, God's heart in worship. Again, this is a matter of the heart, much like the, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is getting to the heart issue. And as we're in this series about relationships and we're learning what it looks like to be the better half in relationships, we gotta go to the heart. We gotta examine our hearts. And Jesus' Sermon on the Mount speaks into the heart of his kingdom. And, and, and he's, he's telling us that it's, it's more than that. It's heart and action. Remember what Jesus said about murder. He said thinking any, anything hateful, insults, it's the same as murder. And worship involves posturing our hearts towards God's and aligning our character with his. That's what worship is. It's, it's placing value and worth on God above anything that we hold on to. We can't worship God while holding on to hate or resentment in our hearts. Now, it's important to pause and talk a bit about forgiveness and reconciliation as well because they're different. And honestly, this teaching isn't about forgiveness. This teaching is about reconciliation. Forgiveness takes one person. Reconciliation takes two people. And restoration takes time. I'll say that again. Forgiveness takes one person. Reconciliation takes two people. And restoration happens over time. It's been said that forgiveness is a one-way street. When we forgive, we're saying that we no longer hold someone's sin against them. And in relationships, we can forgive somebody without ever reconciling with them. Forgiveness is more for ourselves. The opposite of forgiveness is resentment. Holding that something there rather than holding it against somebody, rather than forgiving them, that's resentment. But we're commanded to forgive. Remember what Josh, Pastor Josh read last week in Colossians 3.13. It says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We forgive because we consider how far we've strayed from God, and yet he still forgives us. Reconciliation, however, takes two. And in this series, we're learning how to become the better half in relationships. And what Jesus is teaching is telling us about being the better half is that we seek reconciliation because reconciliation is at the heart of healthy relationships. 
What's interesting about these terms, forgiveness and reconciliation, is, is that these were banking terms in that day. As people were, were hearing these terms, they would have thought about banking and, and transactions, like reconciling a checkbook, right? For all of you left-brain people here, I just reminded you of something you have to do. For all you right-brain people, I just totally threw you off with that one. You want me to do what, right? But they would have heard it as balancing scales, reconciling scales. In that day, currency was measured by weight. So if our offense is sort of adding weight to one side, seeking reconciliation is bringing those scales into balance. It's looking at at something that was done or something that was thought, and it's owning up to it. It's saying, yeah, it's going to that person saying, hey, I I said this, I did this, or I thought this. Seeking reconciliation in relationships is bringing that scale into balance, is offsetting the weight of that offense. Forgiveness is removing the weights completely. That just didn't even exist, right? Not holding it against the person. Resentment is, is holding it there in the balance. But reconciliation brings the scales back into balance. That's the imagery that people would have been thinking of as this was said. And then you ask, well, well, what about the other party? Again, this teaching is about seeking reconciliation, right? Jesus is talking to the person who remembers that. A brother has something against them or a person who's examining their heart, knowing that they're holding on to hateful feelings, resentment, whatever it may be. He's saying, leave your gift at the altar and go seek reconciliation. Well, forgiveness is for that person that we're going to seek, right? Forgiveness is on that person. This teaching is about reconciliation. And Romans 12, 18 reminds us that that as much as it's possible on our part to live at peace with one another. No, so you may be thinking, like, I could go seek reconciliation, but what if that person is unforgiving? What if, they're, what if they're not willing to go there? We can't control the unforgiveness in somebody else's heart. And that's not what Jesus is addressing here. And quite frankly, that's not what we're studying in, the, in this series, right? We're studying how do we become the better half? In this teaching, Jesus is telling us to seek reconciliation as much as it's possible for you. More than just desiring it, more than just, just kind of reconciling it in our own minds, if we know if a brother or sister has something against us, he said, go, drop what you're doing, go, do, reconcile. Because either way, Jesus reminds us also that these, these scales are going to balance out, right? Whether we, whether we, if someone has something against us, the weight of the offense, if we just decide, you know what, I'm going to reconcile it in my own mind, or you know what I mean, you know what, I'm just going to kind of let, how many times have you gotten in, in a fight with somebody? And you just thought, you know, I'm just going to give it a few days, hoping that the, uh, the weights come back into balance. And what Jesus is saying is, is to be proactive. Seek that person out. Find reconciliation. Don't wait for the consequences to pan out. Jesus goes on to emphasize this, in, starting in verse 25. He says, when you go and you, and you seek reconciliation, reach a settlement quickly with your adversary. 
And while you're on the way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. He's saying, don't wait for things to pan out. Things aren't just going to magically reconcile. Be proactive. Seek reconciliation. In this case, don't wait for the court process to play out. He's saying, take the initiative. Desire reconciliation. Seek reconciliation. Don't wait for things to pan out. There are consequences to broken relationships. And he's saying, don't wait for that. Don't wait for the judge. Because the judge will hand you over to the officer, and the officer's going to throw you into prison. And then after all that anyway, you still won't get out until you've paid the last penny, until things have been reconciled. I think back to moments in my own marriage where I didn't seek reconciliation. We keep these things hidden, or we think these things are just going to blow over, but they don't, right? You know, you've heard it said, like, it's, it's, what is it? It's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission, right? That's hurtful. If we think of just moments in our lives, if I think of moments in, in my life, where I had the opportunity to seek reconciliation rather than asking for forgiveness. That's what Jesus is teaching us here too. Is that all these things that hang in the balance, they're going to reconcile themselves eventually in the end. Save yourself the hurt. Save yourself the pain. Save yourself the brokenness of relationships, the distrust that comes along with this, and seek reconciliation. There's so many things that hold us back from seeking reconciliation, right? We don't know how the other person's going to take it. We don't want to own up to our own ugly, ugly bits, right? But what Jesus is saying is, is that, that we should be seeking that it, because Jesus knows ultimately that there's fruit that comes from that. In my own relationships, I've been caught in things and then had to ask for forgiveness for these things. So I, I got to that point of forgiveness and reconciliation in the end anyway. It just cost me a whole lot of hurt, right? And Jesus is saying, before all of that pans out, before all of that, just seek reconciliation. So I wish I could go back in time. There's so many instances where I could have manned up and owned up and sought reconciliation over having to ask for forgiveness That's what Jesus is saying. So we actively seek reconciliation and being the better half in relationships. Before we come to worship, before we see how the consequences pan out, we actively seek reconciliation. In that movie, it ends, and and we don't really know if the relationship was reconciled. So the final scene of the movie is a few years down the road, and they bump into each other, They have a sweet little conversation, and it's obvious that Gary has put in the work to be a little less selfish when it comes to thinking of other people. And I say, we shouldn't wait so long before we catch up again, and then it fades to black. That brings us back to something that I mentioned earlier. 
Do we go through the motions to maintain our close relationships, or are we willing to surrender and sustain them? Maintaining relationships has this idea of just kind of like getting by, right? Sustaining has this idea of building into, fortifying relationships. And being a part of God's kingdom means that we seek reconciliation. Even when we're, we're nervous about the outcome, even when we, we, we don't know how it's going to affect our reputation, we don't know how it's going to hurt the other person, the author Gary Thomas in his book, Sacred Marriage, uh, talks about marriage this way. And it really goes with any relationship is that we're people who stumble in many ways, right? We're broken people. So when you take one person who stumbles in many ways and another person who stumbles in many ways and you put them together, what are you going to get? A relationship that stumbles in many ways. Jesus is teaching us how to resolve that in his kingdom. And it's not keeping things hidden until you get caught. It's not holding on to anger or malice towards one another. It's not holding on to impure thoughts. But it's seeking reconciliation from the heart. And it moves us towards one another. I had the opportunity a couple weeks ago to teach a sermon titled, What Does Love Require of Me? And I taught around the, the idea that love redirects our focus from inward to outward. Love redirects our focus from me to you. The Bible instructs us to love one another this way. And in the context of relationships, that's the type of love that sustains and builds into. Imagine this for a moment. Spouses, friendships, parents, families. Imagine if we woke up every morning with the goal to out-reconcile one another. We woke up every morning and we examined our hearts and our thoughts. And anything that we had against ourselves or anything that we had against another person, whether it was actions, words, thoughts, we reconciled. We owned up. What about the, the intersection of, of personalities, the intersection of disagreements, the intersection of communication, the intersection of expectation or desires? We sought reconciliation. Gosh, it doesn't happen often for me. It does not happen as often as it should or as often as I'd like. But my best moments are when I'm, I say something or do something to my wife and I muster up the, the courage and the love to own up to it before she even has the chance to tell me what's bothering her. Those moments where I seek reconciliation, where I'm able to say like, hey, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I realized that look that I had on my face just wasn't helping. I shouldn't have been short with you earlier. I shouldn't have slammed the door. I shouldn't have come across as so condescending. And even in any relationship, in, 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 in any friendship, have you ever had just hurtful thoughts towards somebody? Have you ever said something about someone else behind their back? 
What would that look like if, if we were to own up to that? Say, hey, I said this in front of these people, and, and just that was a really low blow. I didn't, I didn't mean that. I know we say it's all in good fun, but I could tell that that's something that hurt you. And think of it this way. In our closest relationships, we're either walking in two directions. We're either walking towards one another or away from one another. That really contextualizes things and our actions if you think of it this way. If you're constantly asking your, yourself the question, am I doing things to move towards somebody in relationship or away from somebody in relationship? I, sometimes I think of, it, just in my own marriage relationship, I think of it this way. It's, Renee and I will sometimes call it stacking hands. Remember that game you play where you just, right? So we just kind of just start digging a hole, right? And it's back and forth, back and forth. Seems like this downward spiral. But all it takes is for one of us to turn our hearts in posture. Rather than moving away from each other and digging that hole, all it takes is one of us to turn towards the other. Willingness for both of us to turn towards one another. And this isn't just in marriage. This is in friendship. This, you, you, could, you could filter this through every single relationship. What's beautiful about that and what's beautiful about Jesus' teaching here is that this teaching isn't just to maintain. This teaching is to build into. And so I have to remind myself when it feels like we're stacking hands and when it feels like we're in that downward spiral, whether it's myself or Renee, to, to, to turn our hearts towards one another. And the beauty of that is it's just like a spiral staircase. When you turn around, it doesn't just maintain. It starts building into. And that's what Jesus sees. That's what Jesus knows here, and that's what Jesus wants us to see. To see. Uh, we read some verses last week in Colossians, and Paul also writes to the Ephesians, in chapter 4, verses 31 to 32. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice and be kind, compassionate to one another, looking towards the other, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. How can any bitterness, anger, wrath, slander, and malice exist in our hearts if we are postured towards reconciliation, it's impossible. And we forgive because God forgave us in Christ. We seek recon reconciliation because God is first reconciled to us in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.19. And if you take out your Connect card this morning, you'll see the word reconcile on it. And what I'd like to do this week is send out an email that talks about two things. Just the, the awesomeness of what it means that God reconciled himself to us in Christ. But then also something that Paul writes about in that verse that he calls the ministry of reconciliation. We can study God's word and we can apply it to our lives these principles to our lives of seeking reconciliation, different ways to think about relationships so that we're moving towards one another and not apart. But there's, there's also a theme of reconciliation in the Bible, and it's, it's pretty awesome. If you think of those scales, 
hanging in the balance. The Bible says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We have been forgiven of our sin, right? There's this, there was this gross imbalance in humanity, between humanity and God. And so God wiped out that debt that sin created through Jesus in Christ. We have the opportunity to experience that forgiveness, right? But the, 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 the scales are still tipped because the glory and the majesty of God, there's, there's nothing we can do to match that. Enter Jesus Christ. And we are elevated. We experience fullness, forgiveness, joy that we, we can't ex- experience in this world. And, and Jesus is giving us a peek into that when it comes to relationships. But if you haven't experienced that reconciliation, if you haven't experienced that fullness, then there's another box on the Connect card that says begin a relationship with Jesus. If you check that box, I would love to follow up with you and talk about that a little bit more. So before we close out this morning, we're going to take a few moments. The piano is going to be playing in the background and, and we're just going to kind of pause and rest on this teaching and what the Holy Spirit may be moving in your heart through this teaching. Maybe you're experiencing that reconciliation for the first time, that understanding of, of who Jesus Christ is, what he came to do. So that we can experience a union with God, an understanding of just life and living and relationships. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing about that. You want to take this moment to just pray that God would whatever that is bubbling up in your heart, that it it would continue. Maybe there are relationships that you're thinking of right now, people that the Holy Spirit has brought to mind. You're thinking, man, after this morning, I got to get up out of my seat and I got to do something. I got to make a phone call. Maybe you just got to continue examining your own heart before God. But that's where Jesus wants to bring us, to that point of surrender, to that point of self-examination. So take this moment to, to, to just pray. pray. Maybe you need to pray for courage, wisdom, patience when you think about that other person, when you think about reconciliation. So the piano is going to play for a little bit, and then the, the band is going to lead us in a closing song.